welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Good morning. So as the band makes their way, I'll, I'll share with you a little, little uh, story. Um, most of you are aware that in American football, you have the great big guys that are in the line, you know, and blocking and so forth. And then you have the little fast guys running around with the ball and catching the ball, the receivers and the, and the running backs. Similarly, in the game of rugby, um, you have the great big guys in what they call the scrum. And then you have the little guys running around in the backfield, um, unless you are Fiji. Uh, and Fiji, in the most recent Olympics, completely demolished all of the other rugby teams um, because they had a bunch of big guys who were just as fast as the little guys on the other team. And I will always remember the TV announcer saying, it just doesn't seem fair. <laughs> and they literally ran over their opponents, and then when they got the gold medal, gave glory to God. Um, Doug was a big and also fast guy on our rugby team. He was the, the standout player, the star, for what we call the scrum, uh, often fast enough to make important plays with the running backs as well. And Doug and I became good friends, which was kind of unlikely because uh, we were kind of very, very different. Um, I was a, a little back and he was a big scrum guy, but also um, I was a committed follower of Jesus and he was about as wild as they come, uh, drinking, womanizing, taking all kinds of risks. But we would talk about Jesus and the gospel, and he rejected it all. And after college, I lost track of him within a few years. But when I returned from graduate school to San Clemente to be a youth pastor, Doug showed up. And in the intervening years, one of the wildest, most resistant people I'd known to the gospel had turned his life over to Jesus. And God had changed his heart. Doug actually ended up supporting us as missionaries for many years. Who in your life currently is rejecting Jesus? Who is it that if God broke through and they were to turn their life over to Jesus, you would just literally jump up and down with surprise and glee? Would you open an app or a Bible to Acts chapter 16? We're going to read a lot today, so I hope you will keep that open. Uh, while you're opening, I want to kind of summarize where we have gone. This has been a brief series on the book of Acts that I'm... I'm uh, kind of bringing to a close today. Um, we've been looking at passages in the books of, book of Acts and seeing kind of what the early church experienced and what we can learn from those experiences today. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said to the, to the disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. And, and we talked about early in this series that Jesus gave authority and power to his followers to spread the gospel. Uh, a week later, about at Pentecost, 3,000 people became followers of Jesus. There weren't any donuts. There weren't fa fancy music or a really well-crafted 40-minute message. It was a four-minute message, and, um, but the Holy Spirit was there. And although the early church, we see it described in very utopian terms at the end of chapter 2, and they all were in one accord, and they shared bread with each other, and they had all kinds of signs and wonders, and more and more people came and joined them. It's an incomplete picture unless after chapter 2 you also include Acts 5 where Ananias and Sapphira lie and are struck dead or Acts 6 um, where there's uh, prejudice or Acts 7 or 1 Corinthians or 1 John 
from the very beginning, we see that people lie, people badmouth, people get divisive, people are prejudiced just because somebody's different than they are. People abandon the church, people abandon Jesus. If we expect these things as part of our experience of each other, because the church rumor is not a building, we are the church. If we expect that, yeah, there's, just, there's always been problems, there always will be, then we're not crushed when people in the church misbehave, because people in the church misbehave. But if we expect that no one, whether it's the elders we just ordained, or pastors, or friends, or people in our small group, if no one will misbehave, then we will feel like God didn't live up to what we thought he promised us. Remember Dietrich Bonhoeffer from two weeks ago. Innumerable times, a whole Christian community has broken down because it had sprung from a wish dream. Remember, there are millions of people in this country who used to go to church. Often they bought into a misrepresentation of what our fellowship is supposed to be like, more utopian, they thought. Now, as difficult as those types of things can be, Jesus still had confidence in you to say that people are going to look at you and they're going to know you're his followers by the way you love each other. And I, I had the privilege of standing up here um, and talking to you on Sundays, and I want you to know that you really do exemplify that. I've seen a lot of churches, a lot of groups, and you guys are a very loving, gracious church. Now, that's true when you go out in the patio and have a donut and coffee and talk to somebody new and actually are genuinely interested. That's not that big of a commitment. But in your small groups, which I've visited many of them and you tell me about them, there is a lot of love going on and graciousness and encouragement. So you need to get in one if you're not. People will come and they'll see how you love each other. And they may be checking you out and they may say, yeah, but I don't want Jesus or the biblical worldview that that's kind of based on, and they won't stay. But there'll be others who will come, and because of the way you treat each other, which is pretty exemplary, they'll say, I, yeah, and I, I want what that's based on. I want Jesus. I want, I want a biblical worldview. And they will stay, and they will last. So commit yourselves to a small group. Flourish. Help others. Keep doing a lot of what you're doing and do even more. Now, sometimes people are tempted to think that what we see in the book of Acts, God no longer does. Now, remember, we talked in this series about on this continent, in America, some of the great awakenings or revivals that have taken place and wondering, will there be another sometime soon? And that's a lot of my emphasis for this brief series of four messages has to do with that so that we can Understand that all through the modern missions movement and across the world today, God is still doing the types of things that we see in the book of Acts. And God has done marvelous things here that have been surprising on this continent as well. So would it be wise for us to do our very best to have engaging and helpful sermons and inspiring music and be really welcoming and have donuts? I, I think so. I think those are wise things. I fight for those donuts. Not, not fight to get them. I mean, I fight that we keep having them. Okay, I probably fight for both. Um, but we especially need to pray for the Holy Spirit to work powerfully here and really throughout our country, throughout the world, throughout our country, but starting here on the peninsula. Remember the quote from Charles Finney, who was part of one of the great revivals. A revival can be expected when Christians have a spirit of prayer for revival. So, that, so, so my main takeaway from this entire series for each of you is this. 
Will you work with the Holy Spirit to develop a healthy prayer life? I know that you've got just wonderful options in your life because we're incredibly prosperous, but will you, instead of just doing the things that are fun or easy or demanding of you, will you set aside some focused time of prayer every day? Pray for your loved ones. Pray for people. Pray, and also pray and plead with God to bring revival, for the Spirit to be poured out in a powerful way. Maybe start with five minutes a day of focused prayer, maybe ten. See where God takes that. Again, this is the main application in this, this brief series. Okay, now that you've got Acts 16 open, and I hope you'll keep it open, I want to walk us through that. And again, there's, there's a lot of text today. It starts out, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra. Now, I know this map is very small back there and a little bit. Someday I'll get better maps. But you can see this is what modern-day Turkey in here, what's called Asia Minor, and Asia is off that way. And Paul starts out his journey in Jerusalem. It's about 600 miles or so up to Lystra, and they're probably walking. You ever walked 600 miles? Some of you probably have, but I haven't. Um, and so they get up there, and continuing on, as a, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. She's a Christian. But his father was a Greek, so it's a mixed marriage. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places where they're going to be going. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. So Paul is discipling Timothy, who's been born apparently into a Christian home, raised as a Christian. He's highly regarded. Two of the letters in the New Testament from Paul are to Timothy. This is an important person in the early church. He, he's going to travel with and get to know very well who I would say, in my opinion, is the second most influential for good person who ever lived, which is the Apostle Paul. It's a great privilege to be raised in a Christian home, and some of you have had that privilege, and Timothy apparently had that privilege. He probably never had a time when he felt like, I, 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 I don't know Jesus. Now, that wasn't my experience, but it's a privilege when that is your experience. It gives you kind of a leg up to, on a number of things. Now, Paul has him circumcised. Why? Well, as a missionary to fit into the cultures where they're going to be going. See, Paul always starts his ministries in the synagogues. And if they find out Timothy's not circumcised, they're just going to boot him out, and they're not even going to have a, a hearing for the gospel. So to kind of be culturally sensitive, he has him circumcised. He is not in any way or sense or form saying that Timothy needs to be circumcised to be right with God. Hudson Taylor was one of the first modern missionaries to do this. Most of the European missionaries, they went to China, they stayed in the port cities, they dressed just like Europeans, and didn't really dominate the language. Hudson Taylor came, got a big queue like the Chinese wore of, of his hair, dressed like, a, like the Chinese, and went into the interior, away from the port cities, spoke two of the Chinese dialects at least very well, and had an amazing impact. What he did was he sacrificed some of his own culture to adopt to the culture of the people he was trying to reach without sacrificing any of the truth without in any way changing the gospel. Timothy is going to be circumcised. This is very painful, but he's going to do it simply to open doors for the gospel so as not to offend, to gain a hearing. Now, at CPC, you've done a lot of things like that. You remodeled this church. We remodeled this church. We have this worship service, contemporary, and beforehand we have the traditional. That's one of the ways that we've tried to help people... Um, 
reach future generations. See, I'm convinced that in our, in our former denomination, which has been in decline for 60 years, one of the key factors is that they've been, un, been unwilling to, many of the churches, even some of the churches with pretty good theology, have been unwilling to sacrifice some of their own preferences, the way they do church, to reach future generations. One of the good things about, about this church is we, we have both options culturally of a traditional and a contemporary worship service, but there's more involved than that. And those of you who have been followers for, of Jesus for a while, there are other preferences that you'll probably need to sacrifice to reach future generations. One of the things is you just will have to give some of your time. When new people come to the church, one of the last things they learn to do is give generously, so you'll probably have to do that too. There are so many ways in which we see right here that Timothy is sacrificing to have a hearing for the gospel so that culturally the Jews won't just kick him out to begin with. If you won't sacrifice to reach future generations, God will still reach them. You just won't have the privilege of being part of that. But you have, in many cases, sacrifice, and there will be more sacrifices in the future. We don't change morality. We do adapt to the culture. We don't change the gospel. We do sacrifice some of our preferences, whether it's about music or how we dress or whatever. The early church did not condone sex outside of marriage or abandoning unwanted babies or ruthlessly going and conquering neighboring countries and enslaving their people. And we can't condone many of the changes in morality that our nation has gone through just in my own lifetime. But we can love people and graciously include them, and eventually they will have to decide whether or not they want to have a biblical worldview, which is the basis for Jesus is the basis for everything we do, and it's the biblical worldview that helps us to understand him. Verse 4. So Paul was wise and circumcises Timothy. Verse 4. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them the observance for observance, the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. Now, Antioch is the red circle here, and that's where Paul and Barnabas had been kind of leading the church, and it was one of the first place they were called Christians. It was a growing church. There were both Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, and then some people came from Jerusalem and said, oh no, you're doing it wrong. All of you Gentiles have to now obey the entire law of Moses, be circumcised, not eat any more lobster, various things like that. Um, so they went to Jerusalem, but, but Paul and Barnabas said, this is not the gospel. So they went to Jerusalem, they conferred with all the leaders. That's called the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15, the, the, the chapter before this. And at one point, Peter speaks up and he says, we'll put it on screen, now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So there's this disagreement, this misunderstanding about the gospel, and they get the leaders together and it gets clarified. No, you don't need to be circumcised. You don't have to obey the Mosaic law. Morality still stands, but not the ceremonial stuff. They're all agreed that it's not going to be necessary or helpful to do that. They do include some things that will help the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians get along, like not eating meat that's been offered to idols, not eating things that have been strangled or not drinking blood. 
but they also mention sexual immorality, which you may think that there's a lot in our culture, much bigger back then. Um, now, notice they don't mention meth or heroin or all kinds of stuff. It's not an exhaustive list that the Council of Jerusalem comes up with. They're just trying to do some helpful things, um, and yet they stay away from the whole concept of earning salvation. So how can Paul push, and if you read Galatians, very strongly about, you don't need to be circumcised, and yet we just read that he had Timothy circumcised. It's because he's being a missionary, adopting to the culture, without agreeing about circumcision being necessary for salvation, so as to gain a hearing for the gospel. Verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. The leaders are clarifying the gospel. The churches are growing. This is, this is all through. Can we go back to the map? I forgot to put it there, but if you can. Thank you. Uh, this is all through what we call Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey in there. And there's all these churches that are planted and so forth. And by the year 1914, there are about almost 25% of the people in that region who would claim to be Christians. You know what percent would now claim to be Christians? About 0.4%. Now part of that's because of some genocides, part of it because of people migrating away because of pressure and various things like that. Could we be the next Turkey? Could what happened in Western Europe happen here? Or are we going to have a revival? What do you want for your grandchildren? Do you want them to grow up with where 0.4% of the population are serious followers of Jesus? then pray for revival. Develop the habit of praying almost every day that the Spirit would be poured out powerfully on this church, on this peninsula, on this nation. Verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. If you, look, if you imagine the map, Asia's off to the east, and they're kind of coming to the, the western end of Asia. They're, they're in here, and this is, this is the tip. This is the very end of Asia. And they go on, and they're, they're told they can't go into Bithynia, which is up there in the east, northeast. And then they're into Mycenae, which is right here. And then they arrive at Troas. They're on the tippy end point port of Western Asia. Verse 9, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. That's west across the Aegean Sea. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia. We, this is Luke, the author, now putting himself in the, in the tale, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, what's one of our takeaways just from this, this part of the passage? Well, first of all, the Holy Spirit is perfectly capable of directing you if you're available and teachable. If you're not available or teachable, if you're too busy with all the other nice options you have in your life, then you'll miss out on the privilege of working alongside Jesus, of, of sensing when he wants you to go here and help with that or go there and help with this other thing. But if you are available and teachable, if we as a congregation are available and teachable, if we'll sacrifice some of our principles, not our principles, our preferences, how you'd prefer to spend your time, the easier things. You will find the Holy Spirit directing you. He's perfectly capable of that. He does it today. Verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and, following, and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi, 
which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. The Romans, as they conquered, they put colonies and they would often send immigrants to those colonies and they would, they would incentivize them by sometimes giving them Roman citizenship, which was a big deal, lots of extra privileges and protections and so forth. And they would also often put former Roman soldier legionnaires there because one of the ways they, they helped to pay them off and keep them happy was to give them land or positions or things like that. Verse 13, And on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we, were, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Tyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. Now see the purple circle right there, that's her hometown, Tyatira. But where she lives is up there where the arrow is in Philippi. She's migrated. And since it doesn't mention her husband, she might have been a widow. And she's a merchant. And see, one of the things about these Roman colonies, they were often situated on trade roads. And Philippi is no exception. It's one of the main trade routes from Asia to Rome. And if you were a merchant, you could make a lot of money. And she's probably very wealthy. Continuing with verse 14, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And it says here that she's a worshiper of God. Uh, that probably means that she was attending the synagogue, and although she was a Gentile, she was a proselyte of the Jews. So she already believed in the God of the Old Testament. She already knew that he was a God of love and faithful and honest, much different than the pagan gods. Now, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Is inspiring music a good idea? Is being welcoming, is a very engaging and helpful sermon? Are donuts a good idea? Some, we might disagree with that one. Um, but I think those are good ideas. But if the Lord doesn't open people's hearts, it doesn't, they're not going to follow Jesus. Notice she's born a non-Jew, became a Jewish proselyte, and now she becomes a Christian. It seems like the Lord opens her heart, and it's pretty much just a, probably a logical sermon message from the Apostle Paul that God uses to bring her into God's family. So Timothy is raised in a Christian home. He may not, not ever have known a time when he wasn't a believer in Jesus. Lydia listens to a, a good sermon from Paul, and she turns her life over to Jesus. Probably picking up where I'm going with this in terms of the different ways that people respond. Verse 15. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So Paul and Silas, they stay with her. Again, she's probably wealthy, extra rooms. Verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Doesn't sound that bad. And this she kept doing for many days. Now, although most Americans don't believe this, a biblical worldview includes the idea that there are evil, powerful, supernatural beings who are out to get you, to destroy you. And one of them has enough power here that she is actually able to tell the fortunes of people so successfully that she's made a lot of money for her owners, probably by return payers. And people here, she really, it's demonic power. Where'd she come from? 
Well, she was probably enslaved when the Romans brutalized her country and enslaved a bunch of them. About 20 or 30% of the Roman Empire are slaves. What do we run our civilization on? Electricity and gasoline or other petroleum products? What did they run their civilization on? Slavery. Most civilizations had a big component of that for thousands of years. It's an ugly, horrible thing, but people were so used to it, they just were used to it. Remind you of anything in this country that maybe we get used to? But Christianity sows the seeds of equality that eventually result in making slavery illegal. It takes a long time, but Paul writes there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free. And you have people in the same church who are slaves and are free and they're brothers and sisters. Continuing on in verse 18, Paul having become greatly annoyed. Do Christian leaders ever get annoyed? Sure, you know, that's one of the things about the Bible. It shows everybody warts and all and Paul's no exception and he gets really annoyed. Of course, you can understand. I mean, it's a pretty good message. These people are servants of the most high God to show you this way of salvation. And she's got a reputation as, you know, having a hotline to the truth or something. But Paul just gets annoyed and he turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Now, it's interesting. The passage doesn't say she became a follower of Jesus. And it's been, I've seen this that Sometimes people experience tremendous power of God and they still walk away from Jesus. Or maybe they follow for a while, but then they wither. It's not a guarantee. Just because you'd think, wow, that person cast out demons, did this or did that, or was healed. Of course they're going to be faithful to Jesus. Nope, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, they would spread your feet out so that it was painful the entire time. They're a bloody mess on their back and lying in the dirt. Very awful and painful. How many of you saw the movie this year about the Apostle Paul? Okay. A lot of good things about the movie. Paul looks way too good. After being stoned and beaten and scourged that many times, it wouldn't, his back would have been a mass of scars, but some of those stones and, and sticks would have, would have hit his face. He would have just been, you would have just probably done a double take if you ever saw him. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. How is this possible? You know, we'd probably be miserable and mad at God, and they're praising him. See, God wants to make you so confident that he has a good plan for you, that even in a situation like that, you can praise him, you can sing. That in your life, as you go along following Jesus, that you've had so many experiences of something evil happening, and then seeing God redeem it and turn the tables and bring blessing out of it, that even when you don't see it, you, you trust him. And you sing his praises. Do you trust him? We, we, we read the Bonhoeffer passage about this. Don't get these silly expectations about what our community will be like. We expect all these problems, but also that people will 
know that we're followers of Jesus by our love. The same thing is also true of your individual walk with Jesus. Don't get silly expectations. Peter says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. A lot of people, they, they, they want to follow Jesus for the goodies, for health and wealth and kids that love them and a spouse that's fantastic and a great portfolio. It's not what Jesus says. It's not what the Bible says. It's not a biblical worldview. And if you come away with that expectation and when you get let down, you may abandon Jesus. But if instead... You cooperate to learn from every difficult thing that happens and say, okay, that was hard. Devil wants to destroy me with that, but God wants to redeem it and show me that I can trust him. See, God doesn't want you to love him just for the goodies and the benefits and the blessings and the health and the wealth. He wants you to love him for who he is. Don't you want that in your life? Don't you want the people to love you whether you're successful or not or good looking or not? If you are good looking, that will change. Um, Except for you, honey. Sometimes God allows evil that, that take place just because without it, we don't learn to really love him for who he is, and we don't really learn to appreciate what he's done for us when he suffered. You see, if you have the wrong expectations about how the church is supposed to be, and it, those expectations get violated, and somebody looks at you cross-eyed, and, hmm, I'm gonna, I, and then you used to go to church. Or if you have the wrong expectations about God and how he's going to bless your soul, and that doesn't happen, then you maybe used to follow Jesus and you abandon him. Verse 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. Now, one of the things they did often for retired soldiers is they put them in charge of the jail. Maybe he was a centurion or, a, or some other kind of person in the legion. If you, had watched, if you could go back in time and you could watch this guy when he was in a legion and watch him kill people and maybe torture them and maybe crucify them and all kinds of awful things, you would probably vomit. This, this is a hardened, harsh person who has done stuff that would turn your stomach. But there's grace for him too. No circumcision, no worthiness required. Just repentance and faith. Timothy's born into a Christian household. Grows up probably always knowing Jesus. Lydia, a nice reasoned message with the Holy Spirit opening her heart and she comes. This hardened Roman soldier who has probably helped to subjugate nations and put people like the slave girl into slavery. Powerful miracle. Earthquakes are scary. And the, the prisoners don't run away. And he says, what must I do to be saved? What do you want for the, the future of this fellowship? Would you like to have all three of those types of people 
becoming part of this fellowship? Can you, can you hug and love and, and, and put into your small group someone who's as awful as the jailer right next to somebody who grew up in the faith? Are you ready? Would you like that? Will you pray? Jesus is amazing. This whole idea that God loves you and will forgive you and bring you into his family and forever and give you a family here and now, it's the best news ever. And people out there need what you have. They may not know that. But will you be ready for them when the Holy Spirit decides to pour himself out and they come? All kinds of Christians in this church, on this peninsula, and in our country. Charles Finney said, A revival can be expected when Christians have a spirit of prayer for revival. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit and teach us to pray. Make us faithful in prayer. Make us fervent in prayer. We ask that you would give us the privilege of seeing your spirit poured out on this church, on this peninsula, on this nation, that we might see a wonderful place that loves you, that our grandchildren might experience that, that we would not be the next turkey, but that we would get to see and be part of another great awakening or revival. Come Holy Spirit, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.